it's a very special time of year. You know the one. The anniversary of the Probably Bad podcast. To celebrate it, we did a live show on the Information Superhighway. With the loving support of Hedwig and Carlo. And you. Whatever you are. Do, do we have faces? We have faces. We have faces! Ready 20s looking up. Welcome to our faces. Welcome to our live stream. I'm Mod Pencil. This is what I look like. <laughs> I'm Paper, and this is a live stream which is definitely bad. We're now going to have to hear what we sound like when Nick can't edit out the terrible things that I say. So I apologise for that. I give it ten minutes until one of us forgets how the English language works. Uh, making a cup of tea was a good move. I could just, like, do a tea sip every time someone says something. And chat has discovered the sound alerts. <laughs> Shall we do an idea before we drown in geese and Godzillas? We we can. Everyone feel free to listen to the idea if you have like a spare time between Godzillas. So our first idea was submitted by TD Whisperer. It's also uh, one of the most popular ideas that we posted in 2020. So congratulations, TD Whisperer. You win a live show. Um <laughs> A dragon who runs an orphanage. Their horde is the children they raise. So I seem to remember this spawned a whole discussion about whether the dragon kills parents and then adopts the orphans or just goes around finding orphans. And I feel like it's important to establish which is true. Like, I feel... What you have is you have a dragon that kills parents and adopts the orphans, and then a second dragon who shows up to rescue those orphans and adopt them itself. That makes sense because the so first it's a cycle dragon is of... probably a bad parent. Yeah. Uh, someone has asked whether the provenance of orphans really matters all that much. I feel it does when the provenance is I'm doing a murder. I would argue legally the provenance of, of orphans is but, quite important. For reasons of technicality, whether someone is an orphan because you murdered their parents, it shows up on some forms sometimes, I think. Yeah, I, th I think it's under the Baudelaire's law. That. Sorry, my neighbours have decided to join me in the live stream. <laughs> so, there is also the question of when they become adults, do they still count as orphans <laughs> for the dragon's purposes, or are they all just kicked out at 18? Or possibly consumed at 18? That's. Because mm. if the like, dragon the adopted dragon, like, them. Takes the orphans, like... 
If the dragons adopted them, it has total control over their diet, so it can just flavour them just right. <laughs> I like how we've got from a fairly wholesome, like, you know, are oh, the dragons adopting orphans to the dragon is fattening up orphans in order to eat them at 18. It's farm to table. What happens when if you were an ad if you were an adult when your parents died and now a dragon's trying to adopt you, says Edward Hunt. Um I feel you're getting adopted by a dragon is what's happening there. Yeah, good luck stopping like, the dragon from adopting you. <laughs> like a dragon is just like so I feel there's like at least three dragons. So there's the dragon that uh, makes orphans, mm -hmm. which is a lovely euphemistic way of putting that. There's the dragon that uh, adopts orphans, and then there's the final dragon who, at the age of 18, adopts those orphans. Oh, so it's, it's like a halfway house for when, mm. when they're making their but way into adulthood. I guess the other alternative is the dragon, like, lets them out when they're an adult, but by dragon standards, so when they're like 200. That is a good point. What if the dragon's like, oh, none of my children make it to maturity? And ends like up having Ofsted called on uh, them by another dragon who's concerned for the children's welfare. So the campaign idea is you are Ofsted inspectors trying to inspect this dragon school in a cave. I'm I'm just concerned whether the dragon can adequately provide for the welfare of all of these orphans. Like, okay, I'm not gonna like not to like be a downer, but I am one hundred percent sure that this dragon cannot provide for the welfare of all of these orphans. It's a dragon. It's like a giant flesh-eating lizard who lives in a hole. <laughs> hey, some dragons live in forests. You've heard of forest okay, schools. Okay, maybe the dragon, because dragons, dragons are rich. So the dragon just pays people to come look after its orphans, and I think what I'm making here is dragon Batman. Ever since, ever since the dragon's parents were shot in an alleyway, the dragon has been adopting orphans and making them into little dragons in like cardboard dragon costumes. And sending them off to fight whatever dragons fight knights, I guess. The problem is, though, modern media really likes to focus on the origins of Bat Dragon rather than what it actually does once it has all of the orphans. There are too many people who associate with Joker Manticore as arch nemesis. What would Alfred be in yes. this situation? Because I'm imagining a kobold in a tuxedo. Like, I'm even imagining a cobalt tuxedo or exactly the same as just an old man who is just there waiting on this dragon. Michael Caine is just in a cave. To be honest, I would watch a movie that's just Michael Caine in a cave trying to, like, emotionally support this dragon. I'd also love one where Michael Caine is a cobalt, but he's just wearing, like, a bad plastic Halloween lizard mask. Yes! I reckon he'd be up for it. He did Miss Congeniality. He'd be up for it. 
Uh, Ezreal von LMA in the chat. Broke, dragons want young princesses because they eat them. Woke, dragons want young princesses because they need occasional babysitters. But then Which... they, when they go out, they destroy the princess's castle so that the princess is now an orphan. <laughs> and then adopt her. It's, it's self-perpetuating. I adopt all my babysitters. <laughs> Doesn't everyone? There's a sentence that'll be interesting out of order, uh, out of context. <laughs> already losing my grasp of English, guys. Yeah, so how... Okay, so we've got back backtrack. Sorry, I was going to go into four ideas, but why does Bat Dragon sue people be more scared of bats than they will be of a It's the one like, thing I feel that dragons when you're... fear. It's like how humans are afraid of mice, which is yeah. just like a smaller, a smaller one. Yeah, Bat Dragons have like damage resistance against everything except being hit with a bat. Dragons see one bit of guano and put bat traps all around the cave just in case they don't want to they don't want to see that so it's like spiders to humans i guess the difference between a bat and a rat is one letter and one pair of wings hmm. like every every year like 500 dragons are just devoured to the bone by a single bat the statistic but the average dragon eats two bats a year. Is it inaccurate? Back York, who lives in a cave. So I think we've got like a pretty solid grasp of the identity of our dragon adopter, which I think is weird princess kidnapping Batman who's terrified of bats and is a dragon and has a cobalt look at him. This a straightforward story idea there. Yeah. So how would they show up in an actual D&D campaign? I mean, I think the obvious answer is someone keeps killing parents. <laughs> okay, yeah, I suppose that is a plot. <laughs> I do like just every, you go to a town and every single person there is an orphan because of a tragic dragon related accident. If someone gets pregnant in the town, presumably they hide it for as long as possible because as soon as mm. the dragon finds out they've had a kid. It's like hot fuzz, except that it's dragons instead of like middle aged white people. Hang on, it's not like hot fuzz at all. What the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> I was wondering. It's it's more okay, like, it's more like is, children of hot... men. So my reasoning was hot fuzz is like, oh yeah, there's all these accidents. It actually turns out it's this secret um, secret cult. And it was going to be like that, it's a dragon. And I realised there's actually quite a lot of other things that happen in hot fuzz that are not really related to autumn. I mean, very little of Hot Fuzz is related to orphans, I would say. I only watch movies for the parts that could theoretically cause an orphan. <laughs> I just, gl just gloss over the rest. So, we're going to take some questions from the chat, but we do have one from one of our lovely patrons to start off with. 
Um, so Anseline wants to know what was the first campaign that we played in? The first campaign I I played in, I was I was being a genius orc, and we were going to the woods, and we were going in to solve um, mysterious disappearances that had happened. Uh, it wasn't dragon related, sadly, um, and I. Um, being not a particularly good D&D player at that point, proceeded to set the forest on fire just to see what would happen. Uh, what happened is that the powerful druid that we were meant to be fighting showed up pissed off. Um, we had to fight them. We tied them up and then gave them to the town guard who were like level one or two as opposed to level three druids. And then we just left to inform by DM that shortly after that, and was destroyed by a level 15 druid as soon as they woke up and were no longer like unconscious. But we weren't there. You tried. Still count. Yeah. Like it was saved for the period we were there. Yeah. And isn't that what matters? I'm just. Is this a pattern with you though? Because the first game I was in with you, a forest was burned down. Forests are just very burnable, you know. I mean, they are quite flammable, but that's... Hmm. It's weird that it happened twice. I invented the gender reveal party <laughs> in my RPG campaigns. Oh, no. Um, so my first campaign was somewhat less wacky. Um, my, my character was a gnome ranger because... I liked that it sounded kind of like Lone Ranger. I was not very creative. But we ended up going through an entire dungeon backwards because we ended up finding the wrong entrance first. Which well, was interesting because there was kind of stuff like, okay, we've gone through this empty room and now there's a trapped doorway that's going to set off a trap behind us. I mean, if you're in a trap-filled dungeon, that's a weirdly good move. You step on the pressure plate and just behind you an axe swings down in. Okay. That's fine. I mean, it's a good way to trap someone going. in a dungeon. Yeah. yeah. Also, all the monsters will be, like, expecting to see your face, and when they don't, they'll be very confused. <laughs> I don't know why I'm picturing you physically walking was what I'm picturing. I mean, it did also mean that we met the dragon that lived in the dungeon many levels too early. So it was just like, you go through this door, open it, and there's just a dragon setting up a boss battle. Basically, and we just kind of went around it? <laughs> we'll come back in a few levels. Sorry for the bother. I mean, we did. We ended up killing it by like blasting glitter in its eyes and shooting it oh just a whole lot by that point i had a thing where i could shoot six arrows in a turn because that is a lot of 3. arrows 5. and now who will save gotham no that wasn't that wasn't bat dragon that was bane dragon who was born in darkness 
All dragons are at least one Batman character. By listening to this live stream, you have made that canon lore campaign, I'm afraid. Yeah, it's it's weird, but you know, we we don't make the rules; we just enforce them. Yeah. If you check Twitch terms and conditions, don't don't bother checking that. But it does say it in there. <laughs> Does anyone else have any questions, or do I have to, like, be creative? Yeah, we are opening up to questions from chat. This is probably a mistake, but we'll see what happens. In the meantime, did you know that we have a Patreon? The, it has. It's right down here. We have bonus episodes, and... What else do we have? We have a server where we've played some D&D. &D. We have homebrew made by us. Yeah, this month's one was clowns. Yeah. Have you ever wanted to play a clown? You're like five people our podcast is targeted. <laughs> is why a question or just a reaction? Um, to answer the question... Someone had to make clowns. Right, actual questions. And, and like Batman, I, I made the clowns so I could be less afraid of the clowns. To be fair, every night Mod Paper does dress as a clown and go fight crime. Yeah, it's... I mean, it's been difficult to do that while being Covid compliant, but I'm quite good at archery. That's why you have the clown rings. Anyway, we should answer questions rather than discussing your secret identity. Yes. Okay. A an actual question. G, G Jim Jimpswind says, How are you so awesome? Uh, repeated human sacrifices. I, I don't have a funny answer. I, I just do things and sometimes people like it. Okay. <laughs> Edwig Hood. Favourite bit of world building from what you've ever done for one of your campaigns? Oh, gosh. Let me think. Um... Oh. Like, I am quite proud of... So I'm, I'm doing a superhero campaign at the moment. I said I needed some last line. And you have the trope of, oh, you have evil worlds, and you have everyone's animal world, and so forth and so forth. And somehow, inexplicably, they all turn out the same, even though a world where all the heroes built and vice versa would be wildly different. And you also have the question of, like, so you have an infinite number of universes, and you also have dimension travellers, and why do we not keep all bumping into each other? So, yeah, I managed, I came up with, like, you have the real world, and then you just have infinite possible worlds that don't actually exist until someone goes there. And thus you can have an interdimensional travelling thing, but you don't actually have to worry about why aren't there also an infinite number of three-dimension travelling dimension as well. And because you sort of the worlds are based around you as they're created. That's why it's like, oh yeah, it's an evil world and so forth. 
So that was my vague attempt to make a common, but when you think about it, completely nonsensical trope work. I like that a lot. But yeah, so yeah, things, it's also why you can go, you can have time travels to the future everything be determined, because they come from a potential future, which is only made real when someone time travels there. You can tell you're a philosopher. Is all I'm <laughs> my philosophy say degree came in useful to exactly one thing. <laughs> Um, I'm struggling. It's probably... So, I recently made a new setting where I was trying to have the the races sort of act a bit differently to how they generally are. Um, and in the process ended up making imperialist halflings. I feel halflings should have more chance to be the villains. Well, the thing is, because I was thinking about how halflings are very, like, you know, especially in the more sort of mm. obviously Tolkien ripoff stuff. They're just kind of, yeah. well, we, we just want to leave well enough alone and observe our traditions. Mm -hmm. And I realised that they sound like Tories. <laughs> so I just kind of went what? from there. And now they're incredibly oppressive and backward people who don't let the other races within their sort of continent um follow their own culture because it's it's different and weird and it's they're trying to change things and we don't like it yeah. like you know like yeah the orcs are like the technological race in all the rings and it would be interesting to have a sort of Progressive orcs versus Tory hobbits. Mm. Yeah. Also, yeah. Um, Mary and Pippin did vote Brexit. <laughs> that that is canon. Tolkien's ghost told mm. me. Da, 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 da. Next one. Which class is the worst? Just like the absolute worst <laughs> bourgeoisie. He's just trying to get us cancelled. Um, I think. Like, Monk always just seemed weirdly superfluous and sort of bright abilities and vaguely racist. I don't know if I would say it is racist, but it's a bit weird. It also doesn't do a huge amount. See, I was thinking fighter. Because you've, you've already got all these different things of I fight this way, or I fight that way. Like, especially when you've got the barbarians as well. Yeah. Like, you've got fights with weapons and is strong covered, I think. Yeah. And then you just have like, fighters that's like, hello, the, my class name is the most generic. I'm going to punch yeah. something now with a sword. I feel fighters definitely need more cool. Yeah, because like, I... Two. None, Two swords. none of the subclasses inspire me at all. No. Honestly, what I think we need is magical fighters. I think one of the newer subclasses is kind of a magical fighter, but I mean, you, if you want a magical fighter, you could probably just make that a subclass of one of the many, many magical um, classes. Yeah, like... My controversial D&D opinion is I actually really liked Tome of Battle. 
um, which is the one which gives all of the fighters like the ability to fight so hard they can shoot fireballs and stuff. See, that's more interesting than just hi, I have a sword. <laughs> My ability yeah, but... is I can sword good. But yeah, if you fight well enough, you can do magic. Don't know how well we answered that question, but we certainly yeah, fighters suck. I mean, do we ever answer questions well? We just kind of talk until we run out of words and then do another question. Speaking of which, our next question is how do you effectively homebrew spells? All of you to assume we do that. Um like I've I've done it a couple of times. Yeah. I meant effectively, oh. but I was doing a self-deprecation. Ah. Yeah, I think generally the way I homebrew spells is I think the main thing is to focus on, because there are a lot of spells in here. Yeah, there's ever-increasing numbers of spells. So I think what the main thing I focus on is why would someone choose this spell? Because mm. like, if you have a spell that just does straight damage, People are just going to go for magic missile or fireball. They're not going to read through the dozens and dozens of spells that just do damage. So I think the most important thing is just why would someone? Apparently, my name on screen says paper. Yeah, mine um, is my actual name. I just didn't bother to change it. <laughs> yeah, why would someone use this spell? Why was someone going to time remembering what this spell was? Yeah, and I think that is, cause... and then like all of the stat stuff, you can usually like go by ear. Yeah, like if you find something that has a sort of analogous effect or level of effect, and then sort of basically make sure you don't exceed that in terms of cost or sort of power. I feel like it's hard to make the answer to this funny, but it's genuinely just sit down and think for like half an hour. To make up for the lack of a joke, please have this dab. <laughs> so. Next question is from Blue Flame Spirit. What class do you want in D&D? A man who shoots snakes from his hands. It's tricky, I think, because most of what you would want to do, if we're talking D&D specifically, I think is covered by one of the existing ones, but it's mm -hmm. subclasses where you can have fun. Yeah. Like how <laughs> I wanted a Sin Eater subclass that was more historically accurate, so we just made one. <laughs> Yeah, I think if there's anything that sort of is missing from D&D, &D, or at least is missing well from D&D, it might be a monster class. Like, mm. you can play monsters, but it's always been a bit clunky. And maybe a class that was, like, specifically, oh, yeah, you're, some, you're a troll or something. I think... It's a sort of a, a class whose whole thing is just... I want to cause problems on purpose. Yeah. 
I guess, yeah, a class whose whole thing is that you deliberately ignore what the GM says. <laughs> that is the worst RPG idea. It is, it is essentially a thing anyway, you might as well lean into it. Like, you have a move where every time the GM says, this happened, you can say, no, it doesn't. Like, a dragon attacks you, no, it doesn't. I guess a, a class that is very, very minor god could be quite fun. Yeah, that's something sort of I was thinking. Like, I guess it sort of would maybe lean to probably being a bit too chosen one y. Like, if one of you is a god, it's sort of. But yeah. I mean, it Someone depends just... how good you are at being a god. True. Uh, Blue Flame Spirit in the chat has said that they want to see a warlord class, which, yeah, I feel like actually some kind of a leader, general, noble class. Might yeah, because be, you um... get it as a background, but then it always feels weird to be hmm. like. I, I have all of these followers and resources and theoretically a whole bunch of skills, but I'm also level one. Yeah, I feel like actually yeah, a class whose whole thing is I work through minions might be interesting. Mm. Or possibly like class. like a playable commoner class. Yeah. Where you start out as just some random person and you pick up like actually useful life skills and are basically yeah. the party adult. Yeah, it's been... Sure, you can shoot fireballs from your hand, but do you know how to do the washing up? Didn't you think so? <laughs> the, uh, yeah, it's still be like, it's something vaguely attempted to do, but just a grab bag class, where rather than like, oh, I am good at one thing, mm. it's like, oh yeah, I can do a little bit of magic and a little bit of fighting and so forth and so forth. Yes, I think I think that will be interesting, like a jack of all trades kind mm. of thing. Yeah, everyone is suggesting the mum mum friend class as well. <laughs> I have plus ten in competence. Because thing is, like, I know that a lot of it would be sort of RP to actually have that role, mm. but right now it's basically if there's a cleric or a paladin, they're also the grown up. Yeah, and I think there should be a grown up class. So that you can have wacky clerics and paladins. Yeah. Like yes, I'm I think... yes, I'm lawful and I'm nice, but I'm also a dumbass. Just like have you seen the post about it's like how well adjusted people don't go on questions like, hey, would you like to come see my come fight abandon your family and fight a dragon for me? And they're just like, no fuck off. It's yeah. just that. You're just that guy who's like forced to go along on a quest despite having no applicable skills, but does know how to pay taxes. It's Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, you're Bilbo Baggins, essentially <laughs> what we're saying. Having left the Shire after they um, voted for Brexit. Yeah, you've, you've, left, you've left your Tory Hobbit hole, and you're applying your general life skills to keeping this band of brave idiots alive. Bilbo Baggins is like the one woke hobbit. <laughs> That's certainly a claim you've made there. Tolkien is dead and cannot refute me. <laughs> the author is dead, long live Fanon. <laughs> Gandalf Hi. would be the grown up. Except sometimes he's too busy getting high with his wizard friends. Like, yeah, Gandalf is like 
the grown-up who every so often you see like re- wearing a rave shirt, smoking a blunt, and doing other cool things, which I'm aware of what what they are. <laughs> and it's just, oh yeah, you're actually just a mystical fuck up wearing an old person suit. Which oh god, it I... is the rallying cry of Supernatural. Also, not related, but related in my brain. I I keep thinking today about how ear poison in Hamlet is fanon, and everyone has just decided that that's what happened. <laughs> and it bothers me and entertains me in equal amounts. <laughs> Enjoying coming here for all of the hottest Hamlet takes. I mean, I didn't even do English at A level, but I'm married to an English grad, so <laughs> who has validated my opinion that ear poison is fanon? But Padangetti asks, when you start with a character concept and brought it to D and D, how do you decide whether to homebrew it? Uh, sorry, you're, I, halfway through your question, it jumped to the bottom of the screen. How do you decide whether to homebrew a new class versus multi-classering or flavouring the existing class? Um, generally, I don't really like homebrewing on the fly. Mm. Yeah, I think... So I think it's, I think it's what... kind of a question of... Do I have something or can I find something that fits? Or am I just gonna heavily season a, a warlock or something? Yeah, like generally when I go for wacky classes, what I do is I pick either a wizard or a warlock and I just choose spells and reflavor them. I think that the ability to reflavor your spells in the is a thing that they should have. Mm. Like I'll sometimes like I feel if I homebrew, I'd make one that's like entirely around homebrew. Like, if that makes sense. But yeah, because you can do, because like, you do, like, so, for example, you could do a more sci-fi thing with Warlock, where it's like, oh, you have an alien symbiote that gives you, like, mutations and stuff if you reflavor it enough, and that kind of thing. Or you could do a fighter and reflavor it so you're a puncher. Um, yeah, because it's yeah. like, in, in the campaign that I'm just starting to run, we have someone who, rather than a, um, what's the word? I've forgotten the name of the class. The one where you make things. Uh, artificer. Artificer. Rather than an artificer class, he's gone for wizard but reflavored it so he has various little inventions and machines that do the spell effects. And I think something hmm. like that is really interesting because it's like, yeah. I want this effect, but this flavor, so I'm just going to sort of yeah. mix them up together. Like I saw the D&D, uh, um, I don't know why my voice is still working. I saw a D&D just completely skin, where the classes were just magic person, um, sneaky person, fighty person, and you just refluff those however you want it. Which is maybe a bit far away, but it's an interesting take. Yeah, I think that's where sort of 
non-D&D systems come in where there's a lot more mm. room to mess around, like something like Fate, where it's basically, this is my character's personality, yeah, this is what decides whether I can do with. things. Okay. Sorry I'm getting like a huge number of jokey answers, but you're all asking sensible questions. <laughs> like nerds. Um, from Hedwig Hood, uh, favourite RPG system that is not the indie? Oh gosh. I really like the Cypher system. Which system? Uh, the Cypher system. It's, it's essentially right. a system where everything just has a rank from 1 to 10, and all your things are just like lowering the rank. And if you lower it well enough, you can do it any, like just automatically. And it also has like, like all of character things just different powers, so it's very easy to go, okay, this is what you can do, this is how it applies. And you also have a bunch of random magical objects you can use. So if I may be incredibly hipster, um, well, the system I've been playing a lot of lately is a role-playing game slash creative writing exercise called Wretched and Alone, where the premise is you are some person who is in a terrible situation and must survive, and you need to record your story of trying to survive this, and it has... A lot of things are like, you have a Jenga tower and a deck of cards, and if you draw the wrong cards, you die, and if the Jenga tower falls down, you die, and if you run out of cards, you die. And there's like one very narrow way that you might survive, but then you kill you. It is good, and quite a lot of the sort of settings are free. It sounds interesting. Possibly not for me, but it sounds interesting. Mm. Yeah, like it is, it is a solo RPG because that's what 2020 has driven me to sitting alone playing D D in the room. You say that like you're not in like four different RPGs. I I am in too many RPGs. I'm starting to join a new one. But yes, what is your favorite system? I'm torn because I think it it really depends what kind of game you want to play. Hmm. Like, for one-shots, I'd go for something like Roll for Shoes, where it's just your character is basically your name, and then mm. you build skills as you use them. But then also, stuff like Power by the Apocalypse systems can be quite fun if you want a more sort of serialised adventure. Mm. It's just... I don't know, I don't yeah. think I can pick a favourite... It's like being asked your favourite film. It's like, well, what am I in the mood for? Yeah, fair enough. Because I... Yeah. There are some genuinely I-never-want-to-play-this-again kind of systems. But then there's stuff like, I really like drama system, but if I'm in the mood for something light, I don't want to play drama system. Okay. I don't know, it's it's an unhelpful answer, but yeah. But, 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 but. Next question, where is the questions? I'm good at this. 
I, I like that we've just got one that I think came up in a in a recent episode, but is re- is relevant for some yeah. reason. But yeah, keep keeping yeah, stakes so... without escalating to the world ending is definitely just make it hmm. personal. Yeah. You know what Supernatural did? Don't do that. Don't set Don't... up a whole 15-year-long campaign about <laughs> subverting fate and taking control and then have everyone have the endings you'd expect based on the first episode. Yeah. Don't have don't introduce mega super turbo hell because people come back from standard hell too much and then send the one gay character there. What if all your edgy players made orphan characters? If by the point you're needing to escalate the threat, your characters have your players haven't like their characters haven't formed connections, then I'm sorry your party are murder hobos and must be destroyed. Hmm. Like, at that point, the threat to the world is your players? Yeah. I think at at that point, you make a new set of characters who are going to take down your old characters because they're clearly the worst. I, um, in a moment of extreme silliness, have noticed I've not plugged my my laptop into charge, so I need to quickly go do that. Feel free to... Ask more questions I won't see for about 20 seconds. Let's talk about Pencil behind her back. I think she's really good at RPGs. Oh, I like that idea. I return. After a long campaign ends, the DM creates new characters for everyone to play who are the children of the old characters, based on the DM's character ships and unrelated to whatever happened in the char- in the campaign story. <laughs> Did you mean Legend of Korra? Um, sorry, I have feelings about Legend of Korra. Um, I have never seen Legend of Korra, but I, I'm i just going to blindly agree with whatever paper says. <laughs> I do think, though, I just that they are the children of the first campaign characters, I think would be interesting, because you have... I mean, you have your, your party already knows each other, which is quite helpful. And you'd probably also, because the average party, I think, generally only contains one of any specific race. I think you would end up with (laughs) basically having to homebrew a lot of like, half-halfling, half I don't know, Goliath um, characters, which would be quite interesting. What you need to do is put all of the players' names into a hat and then just pull like them out in pairs, and those two got together and had babies. The question is, does every pairing from the campaign have two children so that you can have the same number? 
Yeah. Or is there like some with one and some with three? Or do you just you assume that your party became a polycule and you pull out two characters and then put them back in each time so you could hmm. have any pairing at all? Like, this is sort of leaning towards, you know, those evolution simulators where you create like a hundred slightly different, like, you know, animatronics or something. Mm. And they all go out and replicate the ten. Like just that, where just every right time you just produce a hundred slightly different character concepts and run the campaign and see which ones they live longest in. <laughs> eventually, you get the ultimate D D character. The idea of running a party with a hundred characters terrifies me. Like, I feel like if you have a hundred friends. And they all like. I probably, hmm. I probably should not be figuring out how to plan a hundred player game. That that is a definitely bad RPG idea. Party polycule is. I feel all D and D parties are either party poly, uh, either like polycules or reverse polycules where every person is a mortal enemy of every other person. <laughs> Like, every D&D party is either a polycule or one step from murdering each other. Or sometimes both. Yeah, or both. I think I might have missed out some questions earlier. I will roll up and see. Roll up? Scroll up. I will roll up in my cool car. I cannot see any missed questions. If I have missed yours, post it again. If your question vanished, blame Nick. They're in charge of picking out the questions from the chat. Um, so another idea that was really popular in 2020. Um, create a cosmic level enemy whose attack damages the players, not just on a surface level, but on all layers of reality. If it successfully hits a character, just punch that character's player in the face, IRL. Yeah, this one got really popular. I think it was mostly from people looking for an excuse to punch their players in the face, I hope. But I, w I was thinking about, like, the different kinds of damage. Like, some of them are obvious, like, you know, fire damage, you can set your character on fire. I think for psychic damage, you just tell them the date and they'll go, what, already? Like, Psychic Damage is one of those ones where it's really hard to picture what it actually looks like in the universe. Like, it makes sense, but it's just like... It makes you sad. Now your character is upset. But yeah. For Sonic Damage, you just yell really loudly. <laughs> or for Sonic Damage, you curl up in a little ball and spin into them. Like... Yeah, I like. My mind also jumped to you. Then, if it takes all levels of damage, you then go punch God. How would you do necrotic damage in real life beyond like give your player gangrene? Throw a corpse at them. Just a whole corpse. Just, just take one out of your corpse jar. I guess there are. Like, there are animals that could be said to do necrotic damage. Mm. Like, throw a spider at them. 
just load up your spider machine gun again. Spider machine gun? It fires spiders. I I think I would be concerned for the spider's well-being. I would be concerned for the people being shot by spiders. Well, I think the spiders would mostly be vaporized, so the va the people would be fine, but you have just vaporized some spiders, which isn't very mm. nice. Also, Witchcaster suggests financial damage, which I like, partly because it implies that you have a monster that punches you and you lose 20 points. It just it's just a up. really violent pickpocket. <laughs> Wait, that's just mugging. <laughs> yeah, what we have invented as a concept here is mugging people. <laughs> I like really violent pickpockets. Barbarian who like um, just puts all of their points into sleight of hand. Doesn't use sleight of hand, they just punch you. And then while you're distracted by the punch, they pick your pocket. That's what happens if they get a, a nat 20 on sleight of hand, they knock you out. So that you don't notice anything they're doing. Yeah. You successfully avoid any witnesses by just eating them into the sea. The perfect crime. Anyone who subscribes 10,000 to our Patreon gets to throw a spider at us. <laughs> I feel like you can just do that. Yeah, okay, granted, you can just throw... Actually, you can't, you don't know where we are. If you, if you, if you sub submit 10,000 on Patreon, we will send you a message telling you where to, what car park to meet us in for a spider fight. If you throw a spider into a river, it'll probably eventually end up in the sea. That is true. I didn't mean for that to sound so much like a revelation. <laughs> But it does sound like a weird I can't control how my river. voice goes. If you throw a spider in a in a river, eventually it will enter the sea. <laughs> it's like in Spyrobot. Yeah. Weirdly deep, just like the sea. I feel the sea is like the amount of deep I expect the sea to be. I don't know. Some of it's really deep. True. Like you could fit a whole building under there. The spider is wearing like a little life jacket and scuba 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 costume, scuba gear. I mean, it would have to be a, a scuba costume though, because of how insects breathe. Yeah, it's just it's just wearing a little scuba bubble. That's adorable. There is a kind of spider that does that. It it's like because there's a so there's a Pokemon that's like a spider with a big like mm -hmm. orb around its face. Yeah. There's a kind of spider that actually does that. It makes its own little diving bell. And you should all be playing it. Um, and Pangetti asks, if goldfish grow to fill up their holes, why aren't they as big as the ocean? They are. How big do you think the ocean is? Have you not heard of whales? <laughs> then what happens if you let your goldfish go? That's why you have to put them in bowls, otherwise they would be too powerful. They have to be contained. Hmm. Oh, they, yeah. Nerf the whales. 
Bears are OP. Did you just say bears are OP? Yeah. What are the best CPCs from studying fangirl? Um. Dwarf. I really like sea elves. But I don't know if that's just because they can. They're elves that have weird coloured hair. And I also have weird coloured hair. I think, like, I would. I feel I would go Weirshark. It adds a time limit to any of your adventures. That would be fun. It's like every, you're in the desert and it's a full moon. It's like, hey guys, <laughs> does anyone have create water? There was. Sorry, it's only semi related, but in D&D second edition, there was weird wolf leopard hybrid. Wolf seal hybrids, even, who every full moon would turn into a seal with a wolf's head. That's so specific. Yeah, like, because like, they were going for like evil, evil water weird creature. But rather than like sharks, or even like, you know, leopard seals or something, like some kind of big bite seal, it was, it's a seal, but it has a shark's head. Sure. A wolf's head. Sorry, I keep trying to instinctively make it a sensible weird hybrid, but no, it has a wolf's head. I think ultimately, I like the suggestions in the chat, which are all just various random animals. I think I would go with a shoulder fish working together to like carry a staff. <laughs> yeah, like a fish hive mind. Yeah. Like, each fish has collectively, like a warlock, which is a thousand fish, each of which have made a deal with different. A swarmkeeper ranger, but it is a swarm of dolphins. I feel like swarmkeeper plays smaller things, like, I'm a swarmkeeper ranger. Baby here's dolphins. My, here's my swarm of tarasks. Like... I guess you could do swarm of piranhas. That's like the cliche sort of swarm of water things. Swarm of electric eels. And you can use that to start the technological revolution. Yeah. Like, imagine what you could do with power over a swarm. I'm still calling it a swarm. It's not a shoal anymore. A swarm of electric eels. You could probably do quite a lot of damage. Yeah. Does the swarm keeper swarm need to keep its own swarm to stay together? Is there another swarm keeper running it? Swarms all the way down. <laughs> like there's a swarm of swarm keepers, each of whom has their own swarm, and also a meta swarm keeper and swarm swarm keeper. I mean, there is a character in one of my games at the moment who is a bee person with a swarm of bees. Hmm. What if the queen bee is also a swarm keeper with a swarm of regular bee people? My mind just interpreted that as like human swarm keeper with a swarm of babies. 
or like a swarm of toddlers, I guess. Oh, which God. is one of the most which is one of the most horrific images I've ever had in terms of sending them to fight a dragon. The most destructive force known to man. It's just my my adventuring is just me and my box of like ten thousand toddlers I unleash upon my enemies. Like in in the before times, my job involved groups of like twenty toddlers, and that has to have been at least three swarms. You don't need a lot of swarms to make. You don't need a lot of toddlers to make a swarm. Like two is basically a swarm. There's some inspirational like advice from the probably bad podcast. <laughs> You don't need thousands of toddlers to make a swarm. That also sounds like really weird, deep motivational. Um, <laughs> you don't need thousands of toddlers to make a swarm. Why would Which... I make a system based on B movie when World of Darkness already exists? Vampires, werewolves, mages, and those weird B people. <laughs> Also, Witchcaster suggested Kindergarten as Toddler Swarmkeeper. Witchcatcher wins. Yeah. This is your podcast now. Congratulations. You, you can see defeat. <laughs> but yeah. I, I do love how B-Movie just suddenly came back. Yeah. Did you say how D and D suddenly came back? B movie. Yeah. Thing is, it's not an awful film. Yeah. Like I quite liked B movie when I watched it. There was a little bit where a woman tried to fuck a bee, but otherwise. Like... Yeah, it's the thing. It's like that and the first Paul Blart. It's like these films are memes and rightly so, but I kind of enjoyed them. Yeah, like, it's a good... I noticed that we just got elves and unicorns post a load of question marks. I assume that's at liking the B-movie. But yeah, like, it's... It's really not that bad. It's it's not the best film, because, you know, Hmm. Jerry Seinfeld. The B-movie. But it's it's alright. Unless someone is making a confession in the chat, so this is... (laughs) I mean, we don't know that she fucks the bee. She just that she wants to. Ah, uh, which catcher cannot own the podcast? Oh, there's all there's always something, isn't there? I guess we'll have to keep podcasting. Terms and conditions, it turns out, apply. A moose would make a really good CPC character because people don't know they can dive to a depth of six meters. Yeah, like I didn't know that. It's like the two biggest predators of the moose are humans and killer whales. I think if you're doing a sea fight game, like a sea exploring game, first fight should be mooses. Right. So now I'm just wondering, like, because we've made warehorses. Yeah. He probably wouldn't need to do much to it to reskin it as a were moose. Hmm. 
I think what you need is inverse nooses who like swim in the earth but can like rise up to six meters onto the surface. That's horrifying. You're just sitting there, and then a moose just bursts out of the ground, rises six feet in the air, and is eaten by a flying killer Oh, now you're just making me think about Sharknado. I, I want to start up a Sharknado. People have. It's, it's yeah. spectacular. But the thing about... Okay, the thing about the Sharknado movies yeah. is in, like, the third one... They set up this thing of sharknadoes can happen inland now because there are sharks just living in the water in the atmosphere, like in the clouds, which is kind of a cool concept and terrifying. Hmm. And then it never comes up again. They set it up at like the end of the third one. And then there's like three more sharknado movies and they never mention the fact that there are sharks in the clouds. And this bothers me. I think more movies should like just casually make, oh yeah, the, the clouds are full of sharks. And that just never comes Like, it's like the room. It's just like, oh, here's a major plot point I'm just not going to bring up again. I did like the bit in the room where Tommy Wiseau was killed by a shark nader. Which, which is worse, Sharknado or Tottenham? That depends. Does Tornado end in the same way as Sharknado? Because that would be horrifying. So mute the stream for a second if you don't want to be if you don't want Sharknado spoilers. He does get eaten by a shark and then chainsaw his way out. If that was a Tornado, that would be all kinds of horrifying. Just. Does, like, the toddler just, like, open its mouth really wide and swallow you whole? Like a snake. Yeah. <laughs> Add a sense of moral complexity to your game by forcing your players to chainsaw their weapon. The toddler. I'm pretty certain, based on existing media, moral complexity means needlessly fucked up. See, it's it's not horrifying in Sharknado because the way it's done is kind of funny. Hmm. Because Sharknado entirely knows what it is. Like the second one hmm. had multiple I professional to... wrestlers and Jedward do cameos. That it knew it knows what it is. If it was a toddler, I it would be to a whole other level. Where Sharknado is a serious horror movie. It's all shot in edgy black and white and like <laughs> found footage. Sharknado. They try and keep the Sharknado. They try and keep the Sharknado hidden for as long as possible. They don't do very well because it's a Sharknado. <laughs> you just have people hiding in old log cabins, and you can hear like thud, thud, chomp. <laughs> and they look outside, and all the trees have been bitten down. Um, oh god, the Meg. We're getting further away. What's the Meg? Um, the Meg is a monster movie about a megalodon, which is basically a giant prehistoric shark. 
Mm-hmm. It's all right. I assume it eats people. I mean, yeah, it's a giant prehistoric so- shark. Importantly, though, it does not eat a dog. You think it's eating the dog, but the dog is fine. I've also not eaten That's the important. Dog. We should, yeah, we should possibly, like, go back and our uses is going further and further into we just talk about things. So, World of Darkness. How about that vampire the masquerade? <laughs> going back to, what was the actual question we're answering? I don't know. Oh yeah, punching your play, punching your players, punching your players. Oh yes. Like, I think like obviously punching your players is a bad idea, but is there something with like I'm just imagining spraying your players with a little like spritz bottle every time they get hit? And I think one of them is going to be weird Pavlovian. Yeah. (laughs) Just spray them with Every time your players. Vending is torture. Every time your players do a murder thing, you spritz them with a spritz bottle. How sure your players keep following the hero's journey of all time? At all times. You railroad them through like, the plot I did, of Star Wars. I did read one of the most unbearably pretentious role-playing games I've ever seen. Uh, it refused to acknowledge that it was games and it referred to itself as a legend-making experience. Um, but, like, players got only got experience when they fulfilled one of the steps of the hero's journey. Okay. That was how you got experience. So you were mechanically forced to act out the hero's journey lockstep in order to level up. So, so the answer is just railroading, is what you're saying? Yeah, the answer is um, bad and naughty players have to stay at level zero unless they, um, what's it called, enter the belly of the whale. <laughs> I, I think they might even have a penalty for doing them out of order, so you just stood outside the big fight waiting for a scene where you can go to the next step of the hero's journey. If you meet your magical mentor too early... That campaign's over. Go home. <laughs> no, you can't go home. That's the final step. The journey home. <laughs> it's just the it's just the GM sat there like, well, we're not leaving until you've done all. Is it twenty one steps of the hero's journey? I think there's multiple different ones. I feel like we should bring Nick in. They have an English degree. This is the only thing they're qualified to do. Nick, hero of our journey. Journey, my heroes. But yeah, surprisingly, the um game of the hero's journey was not uh, was not amazingly popular. Edward Hood, you step outside the house to put the bins out and can't come back in until you've defeated a great evil. It is a recurrent problem. I do love the idea of your accidentally on. Like, you joined the wrong party when you left the place instead of going home, you'll go and stop Lucifer. Yeah, I, I feel like 
there are definitely ways to do it. But I, I feel like the sort of ones where it's like... It's almost like, you know those stories where it's like, well, I have to get the water to wet the stone to sharpen the axe to cut down the tree. Yeah. It's kind of like that, like you respond to a fairly simple request on like a notice board. Then to do that one, you have to do another one. And then before you know it, you're fighting a dragon just so you can get someone's cat home. Dragon has moved from stealing orphans to stealing cats. I feel like the way you do this, sort of, to enforce role-playing, is you don't choose a gaming group, you kidnap six people. That makes sense. And they can't go home until they've completed your campaign. Which also fulfills the first step of the hero's journey, the call to adventure. Yeah. yeah. And then, and and then, then like... when they say, no, let me go, I'm going to call the police, <laughs> refusal of the call. Two steps yeah. down already. This gives you two experience points to spend on things that will help you keep these six people kidnapped while you force them to do your RPG. Yeah. It, it's all, it all makes sense now. Yeah, the game was the everlasting. Uh, you all play immortals. Uh, you, it was really weirdly tonal, like tonally dissonant, in that... You had you could essentially play Legolas, Dracula, uh, uh, Lancelot, and Cthulhu all in the same party, which feel clashes a little bit. I feel like I would entirely ruin that game by playing the Dracula from Dead and loving it. I mean, that's a good way to ruin any game. I would like to play that character in World of Darkness, actually, to see how far I could get it before I had to do something edgy. Playing a vampire who pointedly refuses to succumb to the darkness and instead just dances. What if you had an RPG party that was just all Leslie Nielsen characters? You got Comedy Dracula, you got the guy from Airplane, you got the bad guy from Surf Ninjas, you got the guy from Police Academy. That would be an interesting party. I do think that like, you, squad, just pick a Police Academy. you just pick a random actor and all of your characters are just the people that they play. Like every person they've played. You pick Sean Bean and you're dead. <laughs> Some Sean, Sean Bean, Bean characters live. Huh? Some Sean Bean characters live. That's a lie. I can only think of one, but I'm sure there's others. Sean Bean has, like, disadvantage to um, all death-saving throws. <laughs> there was a special die that's all ones, except for 120, and that's um, the character Sharp. Who probably <laughs> should die, but did not. Hmm. Question for the chat, what do you think the best um, actor or actress to play for I'm going to be every single person this character has ever played would be? Yeah. Party has different interpretations of Dracula, I'm going to be skateboard Dracula with sunglasses. 
Does it remind me, a couple of Halloweens ago, me and Nick watched just a bunch of different Dracula films and it was really weird. Because they... Just based on the same story, there's so many different adaptations. Hmm. I would yeah. like to be Spanish Dracula, who is... Very similar to the Bela Lugosi Dracula, except also has a comedy sidekick. I think I would be Baby Dracula. I would be Hotel Transylvania Dracula. Just... I just tell jokes and I'm vaguely racist. I, I don't think that would be a good idea. No. Are we racist towards humans? Oh, yeah, Alucard. Sean Connery, because you get at James Bond and Indiana Jones' dad. I like get at. <laughs> this is my flirting technique. Is it Zardoz, the film where he wears the red thing? That is a very vague description of a film. It basically looks like red bondage gear, and then he has a ponytail, and that's his outfit. Oh, I'm, yeah, you I've right. not seen so... the film, but I'm very familiar with the outfit, because it keeps popping up on Tumblr. I literally don't know the context. <laughs> well, Mar Mario will not go to Zardoz with me. Oh, sad. Like, I, I don't know anything about Zardoz other than Sean Connery dresses in a weird bikini thing. Yeah, I literally just know the bondage gear. I think it is a post-apocalyptic film. I mean, that would explain the outfit. Post-apocalyptic stuff always has a lot of bondage gear. I did like one thing I saw online that's just, why did the apocalypse happen in such a way that the only thing that was left behind was a sporting drug store and a BDSM club? That is a very good question. I hope this counts as, like, content for all of you. <laughs> Post-apocalyptic campaign where everyone has to choose between sporting goods or BDSM gear. Those are, like, the two alignments. What about a post-apocalyptic game where your classes are based on different like post-apocalyptic films. Like a lot of like all the apocalypses happen, but like they're in different like sections of the world. So you wander from the zombie apocalypse to the post-nuclear like wasteland apocalypse. Yeah, and there's and there's just one one guy from Waterworld who's just like, well, I have a boat. Just sat in the middle of the Mad Max wasteland. I love the fact with like I'm gonna play uh I'm gonna play Waterworld um boat boat um character. It's set in a desert and like I'm going to play a Waterworld character in a boat. And you just you drag the boat along. I guess maybe you could adapt the boat into some sort of land vehicle. You just you just walk through the desert, you turn around and a pirate ship is charging towards you at full speed. 
I mean, if you add wings to it as well, you've basically got post-apocalyptic Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Which is also a campaign I would play. Yeah, I would 100% play that. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang Mary Poppins and Winnie the Pooh tried to survive the apocalypse. <laughs> I feel like I've played a game similar to that with you. That would have been the World of Darkness Disney Princesses game. Yeah, that was fun. My my main memory of it was platonic bondage. Oh yeah, that was... I don't know why everyone was tying each other. It's just for funsies. For context, this was the characters were tying everyone up. Yeah, I should clarify. <laughs> my, our games do not get that wild. <laughs> I, I like that Hedwig has brought us back around to the grown-up character class. In the apocalypse, you must search for the one remaining grown-up to rebuild society. <laughs> A plague that only spares chuckle fucks. Okay, but I would play a game where it's basically... We need to find all of the competent adults. In a world in a world where there are less than a hundred competent adults left on the planet, you must go and find them before somebody tries to eat the water filtration system. One small group of fighters in bondage gear <laughs> need to find the person that knows about buildings. Just you need to find a one tailor so you can stop wearing bondage themed sporting gear. <laughs> please, please make us an actual t shirt. I've heard of this wonderful thing called a skirt. There is like how to play a competent <laughs> adult character when you're not one. Um, so step one is you go find the competent adults. See, what I like about a lot of DMs is if you don't have a skill and you need to roll for it, you can just say, like, I, mm. you know, I spout off some facts about dragons. Yeah. I explain how a loom works. Yeah, what I do is I just sit there and I think, okay, what would I do in this situation? And then I do the opposite of that. And that's how I'm competent. Like, I do feel like it's the same problem as playing a high-int character when yeah. you just don't know shit. Yeah, I have a recurrent problem when I try and play a high-int character, but also I'm dumbass. <laughs> See, I, I have, I guess, kind of a similar but opposite problem where um, You're just too I, much I like high-whiz characters, but I'm also quite impulsive. Yeah. Like, so I've just got to sit playing... there like, okay, I've, I've had my three bad ideas, now what would this character actually do? When you said you had the opposite problem, I thought it was like, oh yeah, I have a problem that as a, you know, incredibly high IQ genius, I have a real problem playing normal people, and I was worried I was going to have to throw something through the screen. But, yeah, I, 
I think, yeah, the fundamental problem is all of my stats are like an 8 IRL. <laughs> so I try and make like a smart character, but regrettably, they don't know shit. It's also the problem of trying to play a high charisma character when you have social anxiety. Hmm. Like, yes, like... I, I go I go up to these Im important people and say something witty and profound. Like, you go up to me and just say, if you throw a spider in the river one day, it will end up in the ocean. I might have to try that next time my character has to be charismatic. I'm playing a paladin. In one mm. of my games, I need I need charisma practice. Like there is the genuine problem of like how do you play a superhuman intelligent and it is a problem. There are a lot of superhumanly intelligent characters, but also you know how do you, you physically can't do it? How would you express executive dysfunction stats by a like? Four partially made rule systems I forget about because I keep trying to do more of them in FPL. I'd like to think that's what happens when you roll a one. Mm. You just your character wants to do the thing, but it just it just won't happen. Yeah, when you roll a natural one, your character just can't. Um, yeah, when if you if you roll a one in combat, it's like I'm I'm telling my arm to swing the sword, but my arm isn't moving. Hmm. Alternatively, just every time you want to do something, you have to roll a d10, and if you get a ten, you just sort of stand there. Or if your game is set in 2020, you flip a coin. Yeah. If your game is set in 2020, you just sit there. Oh, which catcher? That is... That is a heavy question. How to do LGBTQIA plus representation in your character's right both as a DM and a player? So I think a lot of this is sort of the same as like with writing or what have you, and it depends a lot on whether you are one of those people, like which both of us are, and or whether you are cishet and trying to do proper representation. I think. Yeah, the general advice I've heard, which I think still works, is if you're this hat to include um, queer characters. Preferably have them just characters who are there. But it's probably best not to try delving too deeply into telling a queer story, if that makes sense. Mm. Like have a have a trans character, but don't delve incredibly deeply into a story about transitioning. Whereas if everyone is queer, you know, everyone tell their own therapy sessions through D&D. Yeah, that's the thing, like, I, I make a lot of, like, 
trans or bi or whatever characters because I am these things. Like, most of my characters are non-binary and use they pronouns because I use they pronouns. Yeah. I think role-playing is, like, useful for kind of presentation. Not presentation, one thing. Like, role-playing is oddly, because of it involves taking on a different identity, I think it's underexplored as, like, a sort of queer hobby. Mm. Like, I definitely think that, like, because I was sort of playing a lot of female characters while sort of coming to terms with things. I am trans, by the way, hence appearance. But... Yeah, and I think that there's definitely, like, a lot more that can be done with that, and it's just a matter of how we get people to do it in a way that isn't offensive. Yeah, I think also just having NPCs who just happen to be queer in some way. Yeah, I think maybe that's all. I think that's probably the main thing is just... Like, basically, if you have NPCs and most of them are cishet, ask whether they have to be cishet. Or whether, like, you can make... Because usually you can make some of them queer. It's very rarely a case that, like... So, very rarely is it the case that, F, that the characters make cishet be cishet. Mm. Like, usually you can... You can make someone queer. So there you go. I hope that was a non-offensive answer to your question. Yeah. I think there is also the thing about, because I think a, a thing a lot of um, a lot of straight writers, because I'm I'm basically talking about this in terms of writing, but it applies to DMing. Yeah. Do the bury your gays thing because they basically have a gay character, and that character is killed off. Yeah. Personally, I'm not opposed to gay characters dying as long as there are other gay characters. Yeah, I think, yeah, there's a difference between a gay character that's dying, especially if you're in, say, a horror setting or a war setting or some other setting where death is very likely to happen, and the one gay character we have dies. So yeah, yeah. I think the important thing is, yeah, don't have the gay character or the trans character. Have... Um, a bunch of gay and trans characters. So it also means that anything you do is less likely to be stereotypical. Like, if you have sort of, I don't know, like, yeah, like if you have like a deceptive trans woman that can be stereotypical if they're the only one, whereas if there are like 20 of them, it becomes more, uh, that's a trait of this character rather than this is putting forth view on that group of people. Yeah. Like, absolutely so, yeah. have a flamboyant, slutty gay twink, as long as it's not the only gay character. Yeah. Obviously, also don't make all your gay characters slutty gay twinks. Mm. But yeah. Basically, yeah, have a, lot of, have a lot of queer characters, have incidental queer characters, and have a variety of queer characters. Yeah. That got weird. That got much that, that got heavy. Yeah. yeah, so there you go. Actual actual advice. Um, 
So Dyson wackiness. Yeah. I feel like this is maybe a good point to wrap up the stream. Yeah, unless anyone has any more burning questions they want answering. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Someone has complimented our hair. Thank you, Studio. We do Andrew. have excellent hair. Yeah, between us, we have good hair. My hair is 94 centimeters long. My hair is less long than that. <laughs> So, We're now just being complimented in chat. We are. I'm enjoying it. Um, Ooh, how do you handle retroactive causality time travel without being able to predict your player's actions? <laughs> I. That's a question. <laughs> I would normally either have the time travel sort of. Like, either have it a kind of case of like. Ah. Like, the time travel happens off-screen and things have been changed, but this is the time I'm going with. Or you have, like, the players who are, um... The players are somehow immune to, like, time things, so when time changes, it's like, ah, this is what they've done now. And I guess for a time loop, it would have to be at the end of the thing, it's revealed, aha, this was a time loop, so in-universe, their actions were predetermined, slash already happened, and out of the universe... They still got to choose. Yeah, there is also the Star Trek approach of by going back and changing something, you create a new timeline, so everything else is now irrelevant. There's also you just massively railroad your players, and when they complain, they're like, "No, it's you're like, no, it's time travel in universe. I have to railroad you." Like you can finally like use all of your railroading. He's like, "No, I'm just staying consistent with the law." I mean, isn't time traveling just railroading the universe, just forcing it into whatever timeline yeah. you wanted? Uh, Hedwig Hood has says there is also the simple solution of not giving your players retroactive causality time travel. But that is the coward that. solution. Yeah. I think what you need to do is, yeah, either do it all off screen or just like sit there and hit your players with a roll of newspaper every time they create. You're like, this is what paradox feels like, and then you hit them with a newspaper. <laughs> it might be what paradox feels like. They don't know. I mean, yeah. Have you ever been caused to temporal paradox? I didn't think so. I'm hitting you with a newspaper some more. I'm not sure if I have. You know, it feels like being hit with a newspaper. <laughs> Every time you're hit with a newspaper, that's because someone went back in time and looked at your history. <laughs> There is a bit of reality world building for you guys. <laughs> I think reality world building is just information. Reality world building or doing things. <laughs> Every time the spritz bottle sprays a paradox has occurred. I want to know which Ray Round that is. It does remind me of like watching those charity adverts as a kid. It's like every time I snap my fingers, a child dies. Well, stop it! Every time, every time, yeah. Like, there was the one where I was like, yeah, the guy was just like, keeps applauding. Like, every time I clap a child, every person would just yell, stop doing it then, instead. Um, <laughs> yeah, need to just, stop. You just hold the spritz bottle and you keep spritzing it until um, time is broken. And that's how we got 2020. 
<laughs> Every time a paradox occurs, time gets faster. That's it, that's what happened. Uh, yeah, I think on the note that we caused 2020, <laughs> so sorry about that, guys. Every consequence has an action. <laughs> I don't think we've answered your question at all, I'm afraid, about retroactive causality time travel. I think what we've done is go into gibberish. Like, <laughs> thank you everyone for watching. Yes, I hope you enjoyed our first live stream. If it is, if it is wanted, we might do more. Yeah, this um, this will be up as a VOD for a bit, and we're gonna put the audio up as a episode probably in December around when we're theoretically <laughs> like. Talking to family and things. Yeah, also you might notice I my sound doesn't sound like actual garbage. I have a microphone now. So look forward to that on podcasts. It's very exciting. The next episode to go up was recorded before Pencil got a, a good microphone, but after that, it's going to sound I good. Will, yeah, after that, I will sound coherent. Um, that's good. So yeah, check out our, our Patreon and our new merch. If you want a Dean Daniel of your own for some inexplicable reason, you can. Um, thank you for watching, yeah. and remember to have a probably, have bad, a probably day. bad day.